We are in the second week of this series called Foolish Things That Christians Believe. And as I said before, well, the foolishness or what the world thinks is foolish about what we believe is actually the wisdom of God. And we, we learned last week that death is not final. And, you know, when we think about Jesus' death not being final and ours not being final, this changes everything. All of a sudden, the impossible becomes possible. The natural becomes supernatural. The inconceivable, be- inconceivable becomes irrefutable. It's just an amazing transformation that happens when we recognize that death has been overcome. That's what we celebrate on Easter. Can I get an amen? Amen. But you know what? The world doesn't always receive God's wisdom. That's the foolishness of our age and for many ages past. They reject it. They say, no, I don't want it. I don't want God's wisdom. And so it's a challenge for me. And even when I look at my own life, I realize there have been many times where I've rejected God's wisdom. Maybe you've experienced that as well. Looking through the book of Proverbs talks a lot about wisdom and foolishness together. They, they contrast in that book. And I was looking at several verses this week. Proverbs 18.2 says, A fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. Even though the Bible has been proven and verified, substantiated, and undeniably demonstrated as truth, the truth of God, people say, no, I've got my own opinion about religion. And it's better than God's wisdom. I mean, and you know what? I have done that. Have you? I've rejected God in that way. I've said, no, I'm not going to listen to his word. And you know, I'm telling you, the longer you live and you do that and you make mistakes and you realize there are consequences, you think, wait a minute, I, maybe I should listen. Maybe I should look. You know, opinions are like, well, they're like noses. Everybody's got one, right? But you don't want just an opinion about God. You want the truth. You want wisdom. And the truth about God says in Proverbs 1, 7, it says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. So if you want real knowledge, the first step is to understand there is some fear involved with the relationship with God. Now, hold on. Let me finish what I'm saying here. So, but here's the thing. We have to all realize that ultimately we're morally accountable to God. That one day we will, we will sit in front of God and give account for our life. Every one of us. Now, if you know, I mean, I've examined my life. This is not something maybe you've examined yours. I'm not looking forward to because my life doesn't stack up. Okay, and in fact, Scripture tells me that my very best isn't good enough. Scripture tells me that every one of us will not survive that moment in front of the judge unless there's another option. If it's on my works, I'm in trouble. And see, the fool doesn't really want to know that. They despise this kind of wisdom and instruction because they want the freedom to be able to live however, however they want to. And I've been and am that fool. Watch out. Maybe you are too. You see, Proverbs also hints to the, to the, the idea that there is deliverance. It says, whoever trusts in his own mind is a fool, but he who walks in wisdom will be delivered. There is a different way. There is a plan to rescue us, to redeem us, even though we can't live up to these requirements of God. There's another plan, another way. You know, the whole time I was looking at these verses about foolishness and, and wisdom and stuff, and it's like, I'm hearing this voice in my head. Like, where is this coming from? It's like, you know, pity the fool. <laughs> 
It's like the 80s TV show came back, you know, like you guys know Mr. T, right? Some of you are old enough to remember that. Pity the fool. Pity me if I don't take advantage of God's wisdom for my life, my eternity. Pity me. And what we don't want to do at Trinity, and we don't want to teach, and we want to, we want to make sure everybody knows about this truth and this wisdom that God so generously provides us in his word. And we want to look at another, another truth that is, that's almost on every page, every chapter of Scripture. It's, it's the theme of Scripture, and that is that today we're going to look at this, my past is not fatal. Now, you know, when you think about your past, have you ever done something gone through something and thought, you know, I have messed up so bad that I'm disqualified. I've been disowned or I am so discouraged. I mean, this, I'm never going to get over that. Have you ever had that kind of moment? I mean, most of us have, we have regrets. We have pain. We have guilt over the past that keeps us from experiencing the freedom and truth of what God wants to do in our lives. And, and we have to wrestle with that. And, and yet God's word says, look, my past is not Fatal. I remember the first time I, I really sort of understood the, the nature of consequence. I mean, in a big way, especially inside of our family, I was, I was in junior high, and I got to go to a junior high dance. And I wasn't very cool as a junior high. I'm not really that cool now, but I wasn't. At junior high, I was really not very cool. But that night, I got to hang out with the cool guys, you know. And, of course, the junior high dance, the, the girls were on the other side of the room, right? So we're all on one side. They're over there. We're looking one of the coolest of the cool guys says to me, come on, let's go outside. And I said, well, if I'm seen with this guy, this will be good, right? I mean, seriously, let's go. So we go outside, and he reaches in his pocket, and he pulls out his pack of Marlboros. He flips one up and hands it to me. He says, hey, let's have a smoke. He lights my cigarette. It's like, I don't know what to do with this. You know, what am I supposed to do with this? I take a puff, and I'm coughing all over the place. And about that time, around the corner, my parents walk up. Now, for some parents, this may not have been a big deal. But for my parents, who are Baptist parents, who are teetotalers, all right, no smoking, no drinking, no game playing, no cards, no dancing, no rock and roll kind of people, that's the way that I thought my life was over <laughs> at that point. I could still see my parents' face as I quickly was trying to you know, <laughs> stomp out that cigarette. And, you know, here's the thing. My messes got even bigger as I got older. And I was more guilty and more messed up than, than I care to talk about. And, and, you know, it took me a long time to realize how much consequence was involved in that, but that I was forgiven for it. Even though I hurt people, even though I messed up my past, is not fatal. And I love this verse. Paul writes it from Romans 8.1. It says this, there is now no condemnation. Well, what, why, what about before? No, now, now that Jesus has done his work on the cross, there is no condemnation. There is no judgment for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, let's think about that. Here, let me just walk you through it. Someday you will sit in front of the judge. And for those people who do not have the solution to Christ, they should be afraid. 
And we, if we don't have Christ looking at that moment, it is a fearful idea that we would be morally accountable to God, the creator, the judge. And as we sit there and our life is revealed, everything that we've ever done, seen, heard, said, thought, I mean, it's all out there. The gavel comes down. And what's the pronouncement? Guilty or not guilty? You see, when you're in Christ, there's no condemnation. The pronouncement is not guilty. I know it sounds so crazy and too good to be true, doesn't it? Not guilty. There is no condemnation. People, people don't, they don't get separated from God for eternity because of sins. It's because they don't believe in what the wisdom of deliverance that God has provided through Jesus Christ. That's why people get sent to hell. Not, not because of their sin. We have freedom. We have forgiveness in our lives. And that's what we want to understand and celebrate today. It's foolish because the world thinks, oh, no. You know, what goes around comes around. You get what you deserve. Now, just because there's no condemnation, though, here's the thing. And I don't want you to think that that means we're somehow saying it's okay to go out and do whatever you want to do. There may not be condemnation, but there is consequence. Believe me, I found that out in the eighth grade and all through my adolescence about consequence. You see, that's why God doesn't want us to sin, because he knows it hurts us. But he's saying at the same time, no condemnation. You are forgiven. And the reality that forgiveness fuels our lives and gives us the capacity to witness and share his love and grace with other people. We are so excited. Once you begin to get your mind around it, it changes the way we live. And we want to le- learn a little bit more about that from the thieves that surrounded Jesus on his left and on his right. Now, who were the thieves? Who were they? Well, in one level, they are simply the representation of all humanity. Because the reality is, for you and for me, the different words that are used to identify these guys are things like rebels and thieves and criminals. You see, we all, we all are rebellious. In fact, we all, to take it one step further, we rob God. You might be saying, wait a minute, I'm not a thief. I want you to think about it. What were you created for? To worship with your whole life. Who among us could claim that we are able to do that? We can't. And so we're thieves. And we're like that. And the only difference is the outcome for each of those two thieves. One gets to spend paradise with God. The other does not. How did that happen? Let's take a look and see. It begins like this from Luke chapter 23, verses 32 through 33. Two men, two other, uh, other men, both criminals, were also let out with him to be executed. And when they came to the place called the skull, they crucified him there along with the criminals, one on his right and the other on his left. Now, we think they were Jewish because of the language they used later on. We'll see that in just a minute. And if that's the case, they knew the law. Thou shall not steal, kill all the other commandments. They knew, they knew about morality. They understood it. And so when we look at this, we know that they had rejected that, that they rebelled against it, they'd been caught, sentenced, and now we're being executed for their crime. 
guilty. See, what we all have to understand is we are guilty. You and I, we're guilty. The Bible tells us that. We all sin and fall short of the glory of God. What's so crazy about this is that this event, this Calvary's Hill, was actually prophesied 700 years before it happened. Look at this Isaiah passage. It says, because he, Jesus, poured out his soul to death, and he was numbered with the transgressors. He was placed in the middle among the thieves, yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors, for us, because we have a sin problem, and we cannot fix that sin problem. It is absolute. No amount of our work and effort will ever solve it. So what's the first thing that Jesus says from the cross? What's the message of the cross? What's the ministry of Jesus? Father, forgive them. You know why? Because they don't know what they're doing. Have you ever felt that way? I mean, like you, got, you get involved in something, you're, you're doing something you know you shouldn't do. It's like, how in the heck did I get here? I don't even know why I'm doing this. It makes me think of Paul's words from Romans 7. The good that I want to do, I don't do. The bad that I don't want to do, I do. I mean, this is sin. This is the power that drives our lives. And occasionally we find ourselves in places we don't even know how we got there. And certainly Jesus was speaking to the people around him that had crucified him, but he's speaking to us today. He's saying, I understand the power of sin. I know you get trapped and snared and pulled into it. I get it. I want you to understand what I'm doing on this cross. I'm forgiving you of this sin. So one of the criminals there who hung there, he hurled insults at him. Now, if you read the the other passages from Matthew and Mark, you'll see that both criminals start in exactly the same place. They start insulting, blaspheming Jesus. Both of them begin in the same place. This account shows us that one begins with this question. He says, aren't you the Messiah? If you are, prove it. He's really not asking about the Messiah. What he's doing is just saying, you know, get me out of my consequences, not the condemnation that I experienced before God. He's not worried about that. It's like, get me off of this cross. And Jesus isn't about to do that. Because he's on a mission to save the whole world, all people, from the power of sin. He's going to stay there. And he doesn't even answer this thief. As these insults and mocking and accusation and cursing go on, Jesus, who was hung on a cross because he was a blasphemer, that was his charge against him, is now being blasphemed by his accusers. Jesus is being cursed by these people, and he will be cursed by his Father as he lays all of these cursing people's sins, ours included, on his shoulders. Jesus, who could have saved himself here, chooses death so that we might have life. It's his mission. That's what he wants for each one of us. That is the wisdom of God. Jesus remains silent, but the other thief doesn't. Something begins to happen. He rebukes the other criminal. Something's happening in his heart. He started in the same place. He was part of the mocking and insulting, but something happens, and he does a 180. Sometimes pain is like that. He would have been under excruciating pain on the cross, this thief. 
And now instead of losing clarity, he actually gets it because pain sometimes does that. It, it shows us what's most important. And he says, wait a minute. I am not prepared for this moment. I am about to die and face God himself accountable for my life. I need to think through this. I need to take a different approach. And so he continues, he says, don't you fear God? Think he knew Proverbs 1-7? Fear is the beginning of knowledge and wisdom. That's why we think he's Jewish, because he's almost quoting scripture. He's talking about fearing God. Where did he learn that? He says, don't you fear God? He said, since you are under the same sentence, you're going to die. Are you ready to die? You know what we call this? If, if you look at what happens in the thief's life, it's what needs to happen in every one of our lives. And it's the beginning of knowledge. It's the beginning of understanding that we have a problem of sin that we can't solve. That should create fear and desire for wisdom and a solution to that problem of sin. And that's why sometimes we have to be very upfront about the nature of sin and our problem of sin. And that's why we baptize even babies as we will today. Because we say we all have this problem that separates, from, separates us from God and we can't fix it. To understand that is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge because it leads us, it leads us past our own solutions to God's solution. He goes on, he says, the thief says, we were punished justly for what we are getting, what our deeds deserve. So we're, we're being punished. It was right for us to be punished. We did wrong. And by the world's legal standard of the day, they get what they deserve. They're going to get death. But you see, this is where the, he's, he's recognizing the nature of sin and consequence. He's feeling the weight of the problem of sin. He understands that wrath is deserved. And he understands now also that wrath will be not only extracted on this cross, as painful and difficult as it is, it would pale in comparison of what it would mean to spend eternity separated from God in hell. And the weight of that wrath that he is, he is understanding is now beginning to shape his brain because he goes, I'm in trouble. He goes on and he says, but this man has done nothing wrong. This man in the middle, this, this Jesus has done nothing wrong and I'm sure he didn't even understand how true the words he spoke really, really were. This man was a perfect sacrifice. He is the solution to deliver us from the problem of sin because now with a perfect sacrifice, somebody who kept the law perfectly and thought word and deed, who was perfect in every respect, is now being offered in my place as a sacrifice for sin. And the thief was the only one that worshiped at the cross. This thief, as he proclaimed Jesus' righteousness. Everybody else missed it. Everybody else missed it. But this thief worships at the cross. Let me ask you, the crook got it. Do the rest of the crooks in this room get it? We are to worship at the cross because this perfect sacrifice is there. 
And this moment is simply worship demonstrated so we know that wrath is deserved and we know that worship is demonstrated. This is the beginning of knowledge. It's on display and about to come into full view as the thief says, look, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And, and the thief is crying out and he's saying, look, I can't do anything. My hands are nailed. My feet, they're nailed. I can't go to church. I can't be baptized. I can't give an offering. I can't be in a small group. I can't take communion. I can't serve at this food pantry. I can do nothing but cry out in mercy to you. Remember me. And that should tell us something about what it takes to be saved. That we would just cry out and say, Lord, remember me that we would ever mistaken our works, our good stuff, even our church attendance, for something that will do anything in terms of tilting the scale at Judgment Day. It won't. The thief simply cries out, and this becomes wisdom displayed, and we see a man, we see three men on on a cross. One is going to die in their sin and be forever separated from God. This man is going to die to his sin. He's saying, I need a Savior. And the man in the middle, Jesus Christ, is dying for our sins. And this is wisdom displayed to understand our circumstance and the solution that God has provided in Jesus Christ. Jesus then gives him these very sweet words. He says, truly I tell you today. Truly is the word amen. So he's saying amen. That's the Greek. Amen. It will be true in your life. I tell you today, you will be with me in paradise. Paradise is this concept of um, a garden in Persia. This is where the word came from. And you could, be, you could be the king would have this garden, this lush garden with all its paths, and you could walk through it and enjoy it, and you could become a companion of the garden. And you could come in and hang out with the king, walk the garden. And Jesus said, look, I'm going to do far more than just remember you. I'm going to do far more than that. You're going to come and be my companion. I'm going to take your hand. I'm going to walk you around paradise forever. We're going to be there together. And now we see from wisdom comes this wealth discovered, this eternal wealth, this solution to the problem of sin at work in our hearts and lives. And the guarantee is not that he's just going to remember who we are. We are going to be in relationship with Jesus forever because of what was accomplished. Foolish? I don't think so. My past is not fatal. I'm a new creation in Christ. This is one of the most, I love this verse because every day it reminds me of who I am. Paul writes it, he says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. And this word is important. Behold, see, understand, comprehend. Get it in your brain that you are new, that it has come to you, God's righteousness. It doesn't run out. It doesn't run dry. It is always there. No matter how you feel, no matter what your emotions tell you, you are a forgiven, loved child of God. And Paul writes two verses, a few verses later, he says, for our sake, he made Jesus to be sin. 
He placed on Jesus all of our sin. Who knew no sin, he was perfectly righteous so that in him we might become, as God looks at us, the righteousness of God. May it be so for every person here. Can I get an amen? Amen. 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 My past is not fatal. Your past is not fatal. And imagine for a moment, even though that consequence for that thief, he died on that cross, the few moments he had left, the witness that he gave for every person who saw that and heard Jesus' response. Because God wants to do that in all our lives. He wants to redeem the life that we have, that we might be communicators of grace, that we might be disciples that make disciples, that we might be people who share this amazing good news of our past is never going to hold us back, never going to hold us down. No. God has a future plan for each one of us, and he wants to, he wants to use us now, and he's going to keep us forever. No condemnation in Christ. None. Did I tell you guys, have I, have I mentioned the fact that I have a new grandson? Have I just, okay, I, I know, but it's so much fun. And so now, you know, like all the old nursery rhymes are kind of, I'm, I'm reading books, you know, I'm reading all this stuff, and we have all around the house, we've got it all out. And I ran across this nursery rhyme, and I thought, when I read it, as I was preparing for this sermon, it's totally different. Oh, I want you to read it with me, just read this. Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall, Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. All the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put Humpty together again. See, all of a sudden I saw that that's the human condition. We've fallen. And we are in shattered in pieces. And no matter what we want to do, no matter how we try to put ourselves back together, we can't do it. We can't put ourselves back together. We're broken in sin. And I just want to add four words to this. But the king could. The king can. The king will put you back together again. Your past is not fatal. He wants to redeem your life. He wants to deliver you. He wants to use you for his purposes. The past is not fatal. The king can. The king will redeem your life. Deliver your life. May it be so for every person in this room. Would you pray with me? Father, we uh, thank you for this gift. Incredible, amazing gift of the cross and what it means for our lives. Our past, our past is not fatal. We can overcome any mistakes. Father, there may be consequences, but you will redeem what's left of our lives and put it together in a way that's more magnificent than ever we ever thought possible as a witness for you. And we pray today that that would happen for each person in this room. Father, just uh, let this Easter message not fade away as we put away all the Easter decorations. Just, just let it resonate and, and capture our hearts each and every day. And we pray these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.